Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. If you're new to Authentic Church, uh, like my wife said, and as Nicole said, welcome. Uh, Worship was just beautiful. You know, for us, uh, we moved our whole family out here from Texas. Uh, we're, the, I think, the only family that moved out here from Texas. And <clears throat> when we moved here to plant a church, um, I, didn't, I didn't know that Orange County needed an, another church, but maybe a different kind of church. And, uh, and we just wanted to have a family, a community of faith that was more intentional on the presence of God than the programs of men. And, and so for us, um, you know, we, we're a Bible-based, spirit-empowered, presence-driven church. And the presence of God can change you in a moment. And for some of you here today, maybe today felt a little bit long. Uh, that's okay. I remember moments like that. I would rather have it maybe feel a little bit awkward at times when it goes long and have even just one person get touched by the presence of God, that God just did that only to minister to them. And I found as I grew in my, uh, my walk with God that really God was highlighting on me. He's like, why are you in such a rush, Jeff, to get away from the worship? Why does this make you feel uncomfortable? And I remember feeling uncomfortable because people were so passionate about God, and that just seemed weird to me. But when you read through the scriptures in the Bible, and they lifted up a shout, they clapped, they danced, uh, they, they threw up banners, they blew shofars. It was like college football stadium every time they gathered together to worship. And so the Lord really, like, you know, pushed on me in a loving way, why does this make you feel uncomfortable? And then as I started to kind of go down that train of thought, I realized, you know what, it was just uncomfortable to me because it was really new to me. It was foreign to me. I mean, I was raised Catholic. All right, this is a little, if you've never been to a Catholic church, I promise you, this was different than a Catholic church this morning. Nothing against the Catholics. God bless the Catholics. Uh, Once a Catholic, always a Catholic, I think, right? And, um, but it's, but it was different. And so it was new. If this was new to you, I'd encourage you just to kind of lean into some of those feelings and ask those questions uh, yourself. Uh, we are in a, a series uh, that we titled Frequency, and uh, frequency being tuning in to God's voice. I think one of the greatest moments of my life wasn't seeing this 16-year-old get healed of cancer that should have been dead and six months later walked out of the hospital. It wasn't watching one of my youth kids' bones pop back into place in her arm. Uh, It wasn't this kid that had crossed eyes in my youth group and praying for him and his eyes came back to normal in front of my eyes. Uh, The the greatest moments I've had from God, it wasn't when I moved my whole family to help plant a church, although that was great. Really, the greatest moments I've ever had with God is just hearing his voice. And the main difference between a believer and an unbeliever is the fact that as a believer, you have a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> and if you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you have access to some things that other people just don't. And so one of the beautiful things of walking with God is really hearing his voice. And there's some people that, 
that, that don't necessarily believe that you can hear the voice of God. That was new to them. But Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, uh, he said, my sheep, what? Hear my voice. So he is the good shepherd in this illustration and always he's the good shepherd and we are his sheep bah, in more ways than one right now. Uh, we are his sheep, <laughs> not a sheep. Somebody's like, I'm not a sheep. <laughs> I'm with you, bro. <laughs> he says, my sheep, if you're a sheep of his, you're going to hear his voice. That's a promise that he gave to you. It's an invitation that he, he gave to you, and he's giving it to you today. So last week, um, if you didn't hear the message, you can go on the YouTube page, Authentic Church OC. You can find us there. You can watch last week's introduction. But we just really kind of laid a bit of a foundation of hearing the voice of God in a healthy way, um, hearing the voice of God. There was a few different camps in words of caution. We talked about maturity in hearing the voice of God. And uh, one thing, the voice of God is never going to contradict the word of God. It's going to complement it, okay? So if somebody says, well, I, I feel like God's uh, telling me um, that me and my girlfriend can have sex outside of wedlock, I would just say, well, that tr that's not in the word of God. It's actually different than the word of God. So I would encourage you to go back to the word of God before you say what you think you thought the voice of the Lord, because that may just be the flesh, okay? And so um, the word of God... Uh, the voice of God will always confirm the word of God, but it won't contradict the word of God. And so we're going to jump in today to part two of this series that we titled Frequency. And uh, in my heartbeat, my goal is that over the course of the next few weeks, you are going to hear the voice of God in such a real, personal, tangible way. And uh, in, 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 in this, this message, we're going to jump into uh, 1 Samuel, and we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But some people ask, well, I've been walking with God, but I never hear him. And so a good question, a viable question, uh, a valid question would be, why don't more people hear the voice of God? I mean, that's a good question to ask, right? And so why don't more people hear the voice of God? Number one, I believe it's because they have poor doctrine. They don't, they don't believe that they can hear the voice of God. Uh, or some people have a look of God, and it's kind of like, before I got saved, um, I kind of looked at God as like Zeus in the clouds, and he was just waiting for me to screw up again, and he was going to hit me with a bolt of lightning. When I got a flat tire, it's like, Phew. It's because I did that thing yesterday. That's why I got this flat tire today. Like That's how my, my train of thought was before I knew God. And poor doctrine will lead you away from hearing the voice of God. Um, uh, A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, if you don't believe you can hear God, <laughs> you won't. <laughs> Pretty simple. But if you believe you can hear God, which you can, which we established last week, and we just quoted the scripture that Jesus said in red in John chapter 10, you're a sheep, you will hear his voice. You're a follower of his, you will hear his voice. That's a, that's, that's a promise. Another reason why more people don't hear the voice of God, number, number two, is unrepented sin. Isaiah 59 verse two says, it's because of your sins that he doesn't hear you. It's your sins that separate you from God when you try to, to worship him. It's that thing in the back of your mind that says, man, I need to get right with God. Now sometimes, can that be Satan barking in your ear? Feeling, trying to fill you with shame? Yes. Here's the difference. How do you know if it's the devil or if you know it's the voice of God? God's never going to shame you. That's how you know. The devil's always going to try to bring shame onto you. 
God's going to draw you to repentance. He's going to draw you into relationship. He brings it up to you so that we can deal with it because he wants to have that close relationship with you, right? That's, that's, that's good, healthy communication. That's good, healthy communication in a marriage, right? If you have a disagreement in your marriage, not to say that you guys ever do because I know some of you have the most beautiful, amazing marriage, but let's say, hypothetically speaking, you had a disagreement. Healthy communication says, I'm bringing this up so that we can get back to close relationship. We want to have intimacy in our relationship. God's the same way. Third reason people don't hear the voice of God, and this is kind of the thought that we're going to camp out on today, is busyness. Anybody busy? Everybody, all the time, forever and ever, amen, right? We all feel busy. We all feel maxed out. And this is one of the number one killers to hearing the voice of God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, and he will, here's another promise, draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it's totally cool. The guys in the back have a big Bible that we're going to put on the screen. And then I'm going to do my best to read it and sound like James Earl Jones. So that it sounds, just may help some medicine go down today. I'm kidding you. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. So just give you a quick backstory. Who's Samuel? Okay, Samuel is a prophet of God. And basically what happened is his mom was praying and hoping for a child, and she couldn't have a child. And so she said, she prayed a prayer, and she made this promise to God, if you're going to bless me with a child, if you bless me with a son, I'll actually give him back to you, and he can serve here in your house. I will, I will have the baby, and then I will give him to you, Lord. Just so you know, we're not doing that today at Authentic Church, so at the end of service, you will need to pick up your kids, <laughs> Okay. But this was the prayer. This is the prayer that Samuel's mom prayed. Some of the literal people are like, "Oh, that sounds really good. We could we could go out today." This is the prayer that she prayed, and uh, and God blessed her. He answered the prayer and blessed her with this boy Samuel. So Samuel gets handed over to the prophet or to the the priest Eli, who is not a good guy. Um, his sons are running amok. It's, there's tons of drama. It's ugly. It's not a good scene. He couldn't manage his own household well. And there's a reason why there's such an emphasis uh, when it talks about the governance of the New, New Testament church while anybody that's in ministry needs to make sure they manage their own household well. That's your first ministry is to your family. And so, uh, so Samuel the boy grows up and, and he's, he's growing in the house of the Lord and he lives there. And he's serving Eli. And it says this, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Now, that word rare, if you go back and, and translate it, actually means precious, uh, valuable, okay? But it was also somewhat rare, and we'll get into that a little bit more next week. But it was rare. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. So the ark, if for some of you, if you're, you're like, this is foreign, this is kind of maybe some new verbiage, you haven't heard this. If you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what, you know, Harrison Ford, that's what he's chasing for like all five movies or whatever it is, you know, in the, in the, in the trilogy, 
whatever that went on and on. That's what he was chasing, the ark of God. So, so, so Samuel is laying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. That's where, that's where he slept. Just think of that, where the presence of the Lord was. He was sleeping right next to it. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And what did he do? He ran to Eli. And he said, here I am. You called me. Why didn't he know it was the voice of God? How could he not tell? And one thing I do want to point out, um, on a good note with Eli, Eli was like a father to him. So the voice of the Lord, while it could be booming, while it could come in like thunder, while it could interrupt my sermon and just start land blasting in this place and speaking, etc., while the voice of God could do that, most times it speaks in an area that feels familiar. There's a familiarity to it. And so he thought it was his father in the faith when it was his heavenly father that was speaking to him. And so Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and he laid back down. Anybody have kids that wake you up in the middle of the night? You're like, go to bed. Just please. That's how Eli felt. Okay, that's how Eli felt. He's like, go lay down. So again, the Lord called Samuel second time. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. What an obedient kid, first off. Middle of the night, he's getting up, going over, okay. Did I, and my son, Eli, said, I did not call. Please, for the love of God and everything holy, go lie down. Go back to bed. Go to bed. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He ministered in the house of God. He helped with all the different particulars that the priest had to do in fulfilling service to the Lord. So he helped with that. He ministered, he helped in the house of the Lord, but he didn't know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He he hadn't grown, he was immature in that. And a third time, the Lord called Samuel. Then Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy, so Eli told Samuel, I get what hap- what's happening right now. Go and lie down, and if he calls to you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into some thoughts on this. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is alive. It's a lamp into our feet, and Holy Spirit, we're asking you to speak in this moment. Your servants are here. Your children are here. We're listening to your voice, God. We didn't come to hear a man speak. We came to hear you speak. I pray that you would open the eyes of understanding for us today, God. Give us ears to hear you clearly, God. Give us minds that grow in revelation of you, your, who you are, your thoughts, your ways. And give us a heart to believe you today, God. Do what you want to do. This is your service, God. Do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the big idea of today's message is when Samuel first heard the voice of God, what was he doing? He was resting. The big idea for today's message is really on rest. You know, when I was growing up, my parents would say, we need some R&R. Anybody ever, you know, said that? It's kind of like an old school term nowadays. We need some R&R. And what did it stand for? Do you remember? Rest and relaxation, right? Well, when it comes to hearing the voice of God, I would say we need some R&R as well, that rest leads to revelation. 
and that we, when we can't slow down, when we can't have that rest, we don't get that second R, the revelation. A lot of times we don't hear the voice of God because we're not pausing to listen to the voice of God, and the world is very loud and screaming for your attention today, now more than ever. We live in a culture that is constantly in a hurry. Anybody feel that way? Like constantly, like you have to fight not to be in a hurry. I've been looking uh, for a vehicle, and I tried to talk my wife into letting me get this one vehicle. It was an old 1962 Pontiac. The thing, if you drive it 50 miles an hour, you feel like you're about to burst into flames. And um, like it's going to explode on the spot, right? And one of the reasons that I told my wife, this is my selling feature. I said, babe, it's going to help me slow down. <laughs> She's like, the seatbelts are old. There's no airbags. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm driving it like 30 miles an hour, 35 tops, you know. It's like purposely going to help me slow down. I still haven't won that battle. You can pray for us. But you have to fight to slow down and rest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nerd out on you in a, for a second here. And I just want to talk about the speed of information in this world. You know, the world itself is moving faster than ever before. Not the globe. The globe moves at whatever, 1,000 miles per hour, my, my daughter would tell me. Not that kind of speed. Um, uh, I'm talking about the speed of life. So ironically, I'm going to hit you with some stuff here. Ironically, the clock was invented in a monastery. St. Benedict had invited this prayer watch, so they had these prayer watches that were going on in the monastery, and they were doing a fixed hour of prayer seven times a day. And so he and they invented a clock to be able to keep track of when that hour goes off. In 1370, historic, historians point to that as the turning point when they erected the public clock in Cologne, Germany. The first ever clock was erected. And before that, time was seasonal. It was sun up to sundown. There was work time that slowed down in the winter. And then there was, when there was less daylight, and during those months, there was more rest. There was more Sabbathing. And during the summer months, when they had more daylight, there was more work. In their summer months, there were certain things that they harvested. They gave them lots of good energy for the body, like natural sugars of a delicious strawberry, um, cherries, plums, nectarines, all those good juicy fruit, pears, all that kind of stuff. You would harvest that, and it was awesome, and that gave you a lot of energy for things. And then the wintertime, it was kind of dull. It was like there was a winter harvest of wheat. So enjoy that, you know. After that, time started becoming more artificial when in 1879, Thomas Edison, God bless him, created the light bulb. So instead of going to bed when the sun went down or shortly thereafter, you know, when you'd get, if you sat around candlelight, for an hour or so after your meal, you would feel tired. I guarantee you melatonin would kick in, brother. You would start to feel tired, right? And so sun would go down at 6 o'clock at night, and by 7.30 or 8, like, they're out. The whole family's out. And then when the sun would rise the next day at 6 a.m. or whatever it was, then that's when the family would get up and start to go through their chores. But then Edison came along and invented the light bulb. Prior to the invention of the light bulb, the average American slept 10 to 11 hours every night. The, the average. My wife loves that because, I mean, honestly, my, I think my wife could sleep through the second coming of Jesus if she wanted to. My wife, there's no, she would not wake up for anything, you know. Now the average North American is down to just seven hours a night. Think of that. 
In a little over 100 years, we've gone from 10 to 11 as the average to only seven. Now, if there's seven, there's some of you guys that are sitting here that get less than seven, right? If you wanted to survive in the old days, you'd have to cut down a tree. You'd have to cut it up into pieces. You'd have to get up, set that out, get the kindling, get everything, light the fire, warm up the house, get some more, stoke the fire, ready to start cooking. Like life just went at a different flow, right? It was like camping all the time. It sounds like hell, right? You know, so you're camping all the time. You cook your food, you heat your house, and then, and then we started to have power that came in, right? So we had power that came in, and then uh, in the 1960s, there was social theorists that they said the main problem with the future isn't going to be too much work, it's going to be too much leisure. These are like published articles. You read some of this stuff, and it's comical. You're like, oh, man, I wish that was the case. In 1967, this is your tax dollars at work, there was a subcommittee under uh, Richard Nixon who predicted that by 1985, the average American would only work 22 hours a week and only 27 weeks a year because of how productive we would be. In those other times. Is that incredible? Like that, that was real, that was 1967 subcommittee under Richard Nixon. You can go look it up if you'd like to. Since 1970 alone, leisure time has actually gone down 37% in America. The 7-Elevens opened in the 70s, back in the 40s they opened, but in the 70s they kind of hit their stride and 7-Eleven got its name because it was open from 7 till 11. Now I think it's just open 24 hours and they just have a catchy name. In 1440, Gutenberg had invented the printing press, and that launched the Protestant Reformation and transformed Europe. But then in 2007, 2007, there was a different kind of a launch in the information age, and it will go down as the year that things shifted into hyperdrive. In 2007, anybody know what got invented? This little thing that you all have in your pocket that plays a million songs and takes pictures and you got 4K high definition. You got more power here than what was used to go to the moon, right? The iPhone came out in 2007. Steve Jobs launched the iPhone. Facebook went global. Twitter went global. The App Store was launched. The smartphones got launched. And new studies show that time on this little device is actually rerouting our neurobiology and decreasing our capacity for attention and focus. Now, what I'm saying is probably not a shock to anybody in this room. You're like, yeah, actually, it totally does. Uh, by the way, uh, Jeff, can you hurry up because I got a calendar appointment? I get it, you know. <laughs> Just think about the implications of having difficulty being present with the people that we see every day let alone being present with Jesus and slowing down, hitting the pause button on life, airplane mode on the phone, and just having rest. I just paused for five seconds intentionally. That was five seconds. That was it. But that felt like a massive selah, right? <laughs> That felt like a massive pause, just five seconds. Imagine if you sat in the presence of God quiet for a whole minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. There's a lot of things that we do in life a lot longer that are kind of time wasters, right? What if we paused some of those things 
to really reflect on him, his goodness. Maybe we're not hearing the voice of God as much in our lives because we're filling our lives and our ears and our minds with too many other things and voices. Rest, R&R, rest and revelation. We have a problem and that's time. And the solution's not more time. I love this quote. This quote says, if the devil can't stop you, he'll get behind you and he'll push you and push you to the point that you're so busy that you don't have time for God. Let me read that again. The devil, if the devil can't stop you, which he can't as an overcoming believer in Jesus' name, if the devil can't stop you, he'll get behind you and he'll push you to the point that you're so busy that you don't have time for God. Uh, Michael Zigarelli, he had this to say. He said, it may be the case that, number one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. Okay, so this is, this is he did a study of over 20,000 Americans, and, and at the end of it, this was his conclusion. He says, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. Okay, so what does that do? Well, number two, it leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to number five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the crazy cycle in the hamster wheel just begins again and again, and again. Hurry, Dallas Willard had this to say. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So the contrast, the way of Jesus, the way of the world. Here's the way of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says this. He says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, what does he promise? I'll give you rest. Feeling overwhelmed? Feeling like you can't take much more? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Have some pause breaks. Have some Selah moments. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will, another promise, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This time of rest. Some of you that are part of the serve team, we had our serve team luncheon uh, last Sunday after church, and it was just a great time to connect with everybody, and we had some different um, awards that we gave out, and, and I gave kind of a, a little short thought on the, where we're at in our church life and everything, and I talked about three key areas, excuse me, <laughs> talked about three key areas, and one of them I said was Ahod, all hands on deck. And you're, you, if you're part of the serve team and you heard me say that last week and now you're hearing me say this this week, you could be, wait, Jeff, I thought you said it was all hands on deck and that the harvest was here and, and we're going, but now you're, you're telling me to rest. Yeah, I am. That in the midst of the harvest, in the midst of the great move of God, you still need to put a premium on having rest. Jesus was never in a hurry. I don't know if you thought about this. Could you picture Jesus in a hurry? Can you picture him just like stressed to the max? Can you picture him walking in the house and going, ah, oh, Matthew, you left your shoes out again. What in the world? 
John, what are you doing? John, get off the couch. Stop laying down. Stop just sitting there, John. We're going to get up. Could you see him like freaking out in a hurry? Could you see him just like stressed going down the road? Guys, come on. We're late. You know, we got to get over to Samaria quick. There's a woman that's going to go to a well. I got to be at the well before because if she leaves before I get there, then that whole town's not going to be evangelized. We got to go, you know. We, we laugh at that. Like, no, we can't picture Jesus freaking out. But how many of us <laughs> have lived like that, right? It's like, go, 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 go. And myself included. I was like, bing, bing, bing. My wife's probably sitting in the front row going, ha, 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 I don't want to say anything, but yes and amen, right? You know, we've all done it, right? We've all, just even if you haven't, you can just lie in church right now. Just say, yes, I've done it before, Jeff, you know. Kidding, don't lie in church. Somebody's going to watch this online and be like, that guy is a false teacher. But Jesus was never, Jesus was never in a hurry, right? Jairus' daughter, right? Jairus comes, Jesus, will you come and heal my daughter? He says, yeah, I'll come. And he starts to go, but he's going at a pace that's slow enough to stop and heal the woman with the issue of blood. And both got their healing, by the way. So if it's really of God, you'll have time to help on the road, right? The Samaritan, the story of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan was the guy that wasn't in a hurry. He was the one that made space in his schedule to be able to help that one. He wasn't so focused on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that he couldn't get by. The priest was too busy. This person was too busy. But the Samaritan said, I'll make time. I'll make time and I'll actually invest some money into you. I'm going to put you on my donkey. I mean, I'm going to do it. He took time, right? Lazarus. Here's a trippy one. Come to him. Jesus, Lazarus, whom you love, he's dead. what Jesus do? He'd go, get up. Oh, my goodness, Lazarus is dead. Freak out. Let's go right now. No. He finished sipping his cappuccino there or whatever he was drinking, and he stayed there for two more days. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I came to Jesus and said, my brother's dead, and he was like, okay, We'll get to that. And then nothing's happening an hour later. I'm kind of like, hey, uh, master, I, don't, I, I know there's a lot going on. Maybe you didn't hear what I said. Lazarus, uh, he's dead. Oh, yeah, okay. And then another hour goes by, two hours. Now it's nighttime. And Jesus is hanging out with everybody. I'm like going, bro, like, did you not get the message? Like, he's dead. It's like, it's okay. The next morning, okay, maybe he wants to leave in the morning. He, he's, he's a morning guy, didn't want to travel at night, blah, we'll, we'll leave in the morning. The next morning, gets up cooking breakfast. Hey, Lord, how you doing? You doing, you doing good? Good, good? Are you doing good today? I'm doing good, Jeff. How are you doing? Great. Hey, um, by the way. My brother's dead. I know, I know, Jeff. He's, so it's okay. We'll, we'll get to it. I struggle with patience sometimes. Like, I would have been the most annoying disciple to Jesus. I really would have. There's a reason why God chose to put Jeff Peterson in this time frame, okay? And not that time frame. 
I'm a disciple. He's like, Jeff, you'll be a great disciple, but just not one of my 12. <laughs> you drive me nuts. <laughs> you know? I already got Peter. I don't need Peter's son. I don't need sons of Peter. But man, sometimes as a disciple of Christ, it is so hard to slow down. You've heard me say it before, God's timing. Some people say, say man, some people say God's an on-time God. And I'm always kind of like, ah, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know he's never late, but he's rarely early, right? He's never, he's very early to, he's rarely early to dinner, you know. He's, he's, yeah, he may be on time, his time, right? His ways are higher than our ways. Yesterday, uh, I had the uh, great privilege of competing in my first triathlon, and... And I did not drown, so I'm very, I'm very happy about that. I was, uh, I'm, I'm having lunch with a guy that's in our church, Rudy Paniagua, awesome man of God, and we were having lunch in August, early August, and uh, he was telling me he was, he was eating healthy and training for our triathlon. I'm like, no way, you are? I'm like, bro, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, you should do it with me. And I don't know, sometimes I do stupid stuff, you know? And I, and I wasn't feeling overly pressured or anything, but it was just kind of like, yeah, dude, I'll do it. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Let's do it. And I'm like, how far is it? How long is it? And he's like, well, it's a sprint try, so it's not a full try. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know what the length of a full try is. So that doesn't even make any difference to me. So I'm like, sprint try, full try, another try, whatever. And so he's like, it's a sprint try. And I'm like, okay, cool. So what's that? And he's like, well, it's a half a mile swim. And I'm like, okay, two times around a track swimming in the ocean. I'm like, okay, okay, I can, I can do that. And he's like, it's a 12-mile bike ride. And I'm like, bro. I could ride 12 miles on a bike today if I had to, right, you know? And then he's like, and then there's a three-mile run. I'm like, I could walk it if I had to, right, you know? I'm like, dude, I'm in. So I sign up for this sprint try, and he sends me over the training regiment. I'm like, I got this. I'm, this is good. So I start training. I'm like three days into training, and I'm like, ow, 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 you know, like, I can't move. Fawn, I need a massage. Kids, I need a massage. What are we doing tonight? You're giving dad a massage, you know. I'm like, that's what you're doing tonight. Your, your plans are booked. Tell your friends you're not hanging out. You're giving dad a massage on his legs because I can barely walk right now, you know. And so I start training for this triathlon. I ended up, like, tearing something in my calf, like, three weeks into it. So now I'm nursing it, but I can't back out because I don't want to be the wimp, right? I don't want to be the guy that signed up paid 150 bucks, it's non-refundable, and be like, sorry, babe, you know, I'm out. So I'm like limping through the training, and if anything, I was overly confident, okay? So I've, I've been accused of a lot of things. I was overly confident in this, in this moment. And so training, it gets to the day before, and I wasn't planning on wearing a wetsuit. So I'm looking at the forecast, and it's going to be like 65, 66 degrees. I'm like, oh, that feels like that'd be a little bit cold in the water, you know. And so I end up grabbing a wetsuit, and it feels, it's a little too small, but it's like I don't want to get the bigger size because then I'd have to go pay money for it when I got the smaller size in my closet, you know. So I kind of felt like the State Puff Marshmallow Man that wrapped himself into the smaller wetsuit, you know. So I'm in the wetsuit, and I'm like, it'll loosen up as I get in the water, you know. We got this, you know. And I, I go, I get down to the beach, and then I realize, and it's a long climb. It's, a, it's Crystal Cove, and it's, uh, there's the bluffs, and then you go down this long, steady descent to the sand, right? So I get all the way down there. I'm like, great. I'm on cloud nine. I'm ready for this. And I realize I forgot my goggles up top, and the race is starting in 10 minutes. So I'm like, huh. 
So then I got to hoof it up. My heart's exploding out of my chest and I'm locked into this tight wetsuit, you know. And I get down. I get back down and there's, there's, there's Rudy and his uh, two boys and his youngest son, Noah. Noah plays the cajon for us sometimes here on Sunday mornings. You'll see him. He's 15 years old. And, and they've been training for like a year and a half. They were supposed to do it last year, but the pandemic happened, so then they canceled it, so they did it this year. And so we, we all show up. So they've been training. So I rock up onto the beach, and I'm like Braveheart. I'm like, we got this, bro. You can do it. Freedom, you know? And I'm, I'm like the hype man. I'm the hype man. And, and there's a lot of people on the beach that you can tell they're, they're freaked out. Like they're... They're freaked out. They're like, they see the buoy, and it's like, you know, they became grasshoppers in their own eyes. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they see the buoy way offshore, you know, and I'm like, dude, you got this. We got this. I'm like, bro, worst case scenario, you can float. You can back float, right? Yeah, I can back float. I'm like, bro, worst case scenario, you just black back float and just, you know, do this little thing, you know? So we're... So, so we go, so Rudy and I, we line up, and, we, and, and they have different heats, so they put all the young bucks early, and then we're a few heats, we're one heat back, just one heat back from the Young Bucks. And so we're there on the beach, and I'm like in front, and I'm like, man, give me my mountain, I got this, I'm gonna get in the water, I'm gonna smoke these fools, like this is gonna be awesome. And the people that, that had done the course a few times, they said, hey, the biggest challenge is getting beyond the waves, because the waves and the tide are gonna try to pull you in. You gotta get past that first set of current, and then you get into your rhythm. I'm like, cool, got this. And so go and I sprint in the waves I'm the first dude in and I'm going and I'm diving through the waves and it's coming at you and the tide's coming in and it's feeling a little bit difficult I'm not kidding you 10 minutes into it I'm like help help I'm like Jesus tell my mom tell my dad that I love him. tell my wife tell my kids Jesus Jesus I don't know if I have air enough I can barely even get a breath in at this moment. I'm like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I'm gonna die. Out here in the waves, I'm the idiot that's gonna die, that didn't train enough, you know? And you come through the waves and then, you know, you swim all the way out there and then they have you, now the nice thing is because the tide's coming in, by the time that you're totally gassed, then you're finally like, then you get some waves that are kind of like throwing you against the shore like Shamu swimming up on the beach, you know? And so you come in the waves, and then you got to run up this thing, strip out your wetsuit, get on the bike, haul on the bike, and then do the run. Anyways, long story short, I didn't win a medal, but they gave me a, you know, participation trophy thing, right? You know, so. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all day. I would say the most difficult thing in the race was getting into the rhythm, was getting into that pace. And... And finding my breathing, catching my breath, man, it was so hard to catch your breath. I could barely, and I was on the bike, I could barely even catch a breath to get water, <laughs> let, let, alone, let alone just, just get into a rhythm of breathing. It was like almost suffocating at different times. Life can be like that. If you don't give yourself a little bit of room for rest, you're never going to catch a breath. There's, there's uh, Eugene Peterson, no relation, Eugene Peterson calls it uh, the rhythm of grace. That there's a rhythm of grace. There's a rhythm of grace in your life. There's a rhythm. You shouldn't be up all hours of the night. Why? There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm. And, and every single week, there's a rhythm to our week. Slowing down 
often means that we reprioritize things. We reprioritize things. We have too many things that we think are important that aren't really that important. When I was running a company, one of the things that I would refrain from doing is taking meetings in the morning except with my executive team. I would meet with them first thing in the morning as a huddle, and then we'd break, and they, I would not allow a meeting with them again until like the end of the day because I was finding that nine times out of ten, the stuff that they wanted to barge in my office with at 10 a.m. or 10.30 or 10.40 or 11, they could figure out on their own. And if I had an open-door policy, they would just keep walking in, and my time would be robbed. But when I pushed it all the way to the end of the day, a lot of the problems that I was so needed to figure out kind of got figured out. So for those of you that are managers, there's a little like pro tip for you if you're running different things. Purposely set aside time when you're going to meet and when you're not going to meet. You got to give yourself some breathing room. Believe it or not, right now there's a, a new diagnosis. I don't know if some of you have heard of this. It's called hurry sickness. It's a new sickness. It's not a devil strand of whatever else pandemic things going on. It's actually an emotional thing. It's called hurry sickness. And it is called a behavior pattern it's characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. That's out of the dictionary. So there's a woman, Ruth Haley Barton, and she wrote a book in Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. She said there's 10 signs that you're moving too fast through life. 10 signs. Number one, irritability. You're irritable. You can flick, switch like that, you just feel. Number two, hypersensitive. You have hypersensitivity. Number three, you feel restless. Even when you're not working, you're kind of working. You can't just sit still. You always got to be doing something. You're, you have a moment of silence. You're grabbing your phone. Who texts? You're getting that shot of dopamine. Who liked my picture on Instagram, right? I mean, all that stuff starts to factor in. There's compulsive overworking with this sickness where it's just like, man, I, I got to work. Why do you got to work? Well, because, because I got to work. Because you find fulfillment in that. Or do you really have to work? And are you finding a fulfillment in something that's a false God? You have a numbness. There's a numbness to you. You don't feel that joy like you felt it. You don't feel that life come on you at one, like you used to. You have escapist behaviors. Um, it's just going to be one drink. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to go out and do this. Um, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work out. I just need to get to the gym. And, and none of that stuff is bad in moderation. But when it starts to become overly needed, it becomes an escapist behavior. Number seven, you're disconnected from identity and calling. You forget who you are. Ever been around somebody and you hadn't seen them for a while and you're like, man, I remember when you were so passionate for God. Man, I remember when you were so in love with your wife. I remember, like, what happened? They, for, they disconnect from their identity and calling. Number eight, you're not able to attend to human needs. Basic human needs, you just can't attend to it. Number nine, you're hoarding energy. It's like you're storing it up to, to do what? Like, I can't do this, I can't do this, because, because you're focusing your energy in the wrong areas. And number 10, there's a slippage in the spiritual practices of just walking with God, just doing a life with him. Now, this isn't guilt, all right? So I'm not trying to guilt anybody, and I'm not trying to play armchair counselor right now. I think we'd all say, yeah, I, I'm somewhere on that list. I'm all 10. 
I'm 11, <laughs> whatever, you know, some, everybody would say I, I've, I've had a little bit of something like that, but I, I'm not saying this out of guilt, I'm really saying this out of an invitation, Jesus wants to help you clear the deck, he wants to wipe the slate clean, he wants you to sit down with him at your computer and look in your calendar and really see what's so important, or he may be leading you to make a calendar. If you value his presence, I don't know about you, but I make appointments for people that are important to me. Just a thought. So this is an invitation this morning to slow down, to rest and receive revelation. I'm gonna end with this, and I'll have the worship team, if you could come and join me up at the front. Three ways to slow down. Let me just give you three key areas you can use to slow down, and then we'll end today. Number one, you can Sabbath. Sabbath, that's a real fancy word for the fourth commandment, okay? That's, that's the fourth commandment, and that was to take a day off, to have a day of rest. That's the, that's the weekly clock that God gave, and he said, I didn't make the Sabbath for me, I made it for you. He made it for you that could be a break in your day, in your life, where everything gets closed out. For me, our Sabbaths are usually on Saturdays, and I love being off of this device for those days. And my kids would even tell you, like on Saturdays, especially every, every month, our family, we do an adventure day where it's just Fawn and I and the kids, and we just usually pick somewhere new or an old place that we want to go back and go to again. This month, it was going up to Big Bear. It was going to be 66 degrees, and my kids, they want to get in the cold. And so we went up as cold as it would be at 66 degrees. We went up to Big Bear for the day. And we just had time. And, and they would tell you on adventure days, don't you dare get caught on a device. Dad will go crazy. You can't have a device, no devices. Why? Because I want them to have a break because I know what they don't necessarily yet realize that this thing that's clamoring for your attention is actually helping to, starting to rewire different things in your brain where you just can't relax. You can't have peace. My goal with my device is that I'd be able to shut this off from 9 p.m. to 8 a.m. Some say, well, that's not much of a goal. Try it, brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's my goal, okay? You have your own goal, <laughs> okay? Taking a break. So number two, the second area to slow down was device management. Like I said, my goal is to be off the device from 9 to 8 p.m. That's me. Read more. Watch less. It's amazing, when you start reading at night, when you develop that as a practice, how you're able to slow down in your thoughts. Like Samuel, where we started today. Samuel was resting near the ark of God, and then the Lord spoke. Slow down, rest. What did you really gain from watching that season of whatever over the last two years, <laughs> right? Nothing. What could you gain by picking up a book? It doesn't have to be the Bible, although I highly recommend it. It could be just a book of something you're interested in. And just read and let your mind just kind of relax. Just slow down. The third way to slow down is with emotional management. Knowing when your tank is running low. There's a big emphasis in the 90s. It was all on time management, right? There was COVID planners and all these different things that we had to help manage ourselves. And we had these, you know, 
highly effective practices for planning my day and I had this done every 15 minutes or every hour and I made our show, bop, 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 bop. we get all this stuff. And we have this full calendar and we have no room. We get overconfident, like this guy going into the waves. <laughs> you get overconfident in what you think you can do that you don't leave any margin for having some downtime. When Jesus would feel empty on energy and he had times, Sure, he was, he was fully God, but he was fully man. He had times where he'd get low on energy. What would he do? It said he would pull away and go rest. That's the rhythm of grace. You're feeling tanked? Clear the schedule. Have some time of rest. Feel overly committed? Great. Look at your calendar today, before Monday, because Monday's going to come. It's coming like a freight train for some of us, right? Monday's going to come. Before Monday gets here, you sit down and you tell your calendar what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. That phone call, you don't need to take every phone call. You don't need to take every text, even from me. Okay, you don't, you don't need to take a phone call or a text. You can put it on the shelf. You can take a break. Catch your breath. We're following after Jesus. He modeled this. I'm going to go back and read Matthew 11 again. Matthew 11:28. 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Why don't we just all stand together? We're going to sing this song I'm going to have. We sang a little bit of it earlier during worship. I'm going to have Kara just sing the full song, if you could, Kara. It's a beautiful song about Jesus. The chorus is, what a beautiful name. And there's power in the name of Jesus. And if maybe you have come to a place with your schedule, your life, where you feel powerless, Jesus wants to encourage you today. He wants to help you walk out stuff that you don't know how you're going to walk it out. He's the word at the beginning. He's always been. He always will be. Let's make space for him in this moment as we conclude for some R&R, from some rest and revelation. Lord, I pray that you'd speak, continue to speak to us, God, in this message of slowing down, that we would find rest and we'd receive revelation. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.